Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. It is my great pleasure today to announce to you a new and additional sponsor for our program. Tyler Kane is a friend of mine and a brother in Christ, and he is a senior loan officer for Fairway Independent Mortgage. Tyler and his team have extensive knowledge of the mortgage industry, and their dedication has made them a trusted partner for many wonderful families. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to refinance or talk about future home ownership goals, Tyler and his team are here to guide you every step of the way. We've included a link to their website in the show notes, or you can reach Tyler directly at 813-380-8487. Thank you so much for listening today. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back for episode 51 of 2023. We are almost finished with this year. We'll have one episode next Monday and then launch into 2024. I know you are probably right in the middle of a bunch of holiday planning and family stuff, so thanks for taking the time to tune in. I certainly enjoy getting to do this, and I do mean that. I use the word enjoy and excitement a lot, and they really do define why we have made it through five years and why I'm actually pretty, well, excited for next year. You know, there are different things that get people going, and everybody's a little bit different, and it's probably the result of personality traits or character or genetics, but there are two things that I just absolutely love. Learning something new that has an impact on my daily life and getting to share it with others. I mean, forget podcasting for a moment. This is why I love gospel preaching. Get up every morning and read the word and let God show you something or slap you in the face with something. See how needful it is and then patiently wait until Sunday to get to share it with as many people as you can. Now, to speak to both podcasting and preaching, part of the intricacy of that is all of the reading and thinking and research, and then having to kind of synthesize it into something somewhat bite-sized so that people can use it without having to go through that same journey. And I enjoy all of that too, so thank you for your willingness to listen to the output from those journeys, and that's kind of the way this week worked. I don't even know how many articles that I've read this week. I started on Monday morning with this very central idea on self-awareness that I wanted to share with you, and we'll talk more about that in a bit, and that turned into articles on self-deception and concepts of addiction and reading through Romans 7. At one point, I had no idea where all of that was going to stop or if it would ever turn into an episode, and then I came across an article, and this became the stopping point when I knew there was something I needed to tell you. The article is about step from Alcoholics Anonymous, and the title of the episode today represents that step where you are asked to take a fearless moral inventory. And I don't want to flash by that statement too quickly. In fact, we may need to hang a gold star on this episode based purely on those three words alone, whether I say anything productive from here on out or not. There is an intense and incredible value on you using some of that boredom from a couple of weeks ago where you're not distracted or staying occupied with things or trying to do too much, where you're just sitting and thinking and problem solving, using that time without fear of what you will find or what it will mean, taking a very real inventory, a list with actual words and definitions of who you are. I mean, who are you really at your core where no one else sees Where are you morally? Where is God in your life? Where do you want to be in the lives of others? What is your purpose for being here? What does success look like for you? 
I'm not just talking about what you've gotten used to telling people or how you've grown accustomed answering questions people ask about how you're doing. Those aren't necessarily lies or deception, but everybody puts on their coat of makeup before they walk out of the house. This process is needful and in-depth and transformational. Several things I read suggested that step four for an alcoholic can take days or weeks or months. There's no telling how long it might take this person to stop being afraid of what they'll find or what it would mean even just within themselves to be completely honest about what is true. That inventory can just be character traits or emotions, but as you'll hear today, it can be more specific than that, like real relationships you're struggling with and honestly assessing your sense of morality within those problem sets. We will dig in on that. I have a few things to read for you from that article, and I think you'll see very clearly that these steps are not just for chemically dependent addicts. So if you're going, I don't need this process, I don't need step four, I'm not an alcoholic or addicted to anything, then I would just say to you that what works in extreme circumstances tends to work in many circumstances. And the honest and true assessment that an alcoholic can make to turn their life around can certainly help you in areas within your own. And I think secondly, it might be a little presumptuous to say that you and I aren't addicts. I think there are things that have long since begun to control us, how we use our time or the way that we think. And until we can back away from those externals and do a proper internal investigation, at least of what we want to become, then those things may always control us. Let me show you for a moment how pivotal step four is in the 12-step process, and then maybe you can begin to apply it to your own walk. The first three steps are really about honesty, humility, and God. You know, I am powerless on my own, and God is here, and God is the one who can help me. I actually think, by and large, whatever's going on in your life, if you're listening to this ESM episode, you're probably on board with those three things. You need help. You need God. God can help you. But somehow, that admittance of truth, of need, that faith, if you will, needs to turn into real works. And if you just skip step four and move on through the rest, you have a lot of ING words. I'm ready to go out and start helping to make things better. Step five, admitting you're wrong. Step six, addressing defects. Step seven, removing defects. Step eight, willing to make amends. Step nine, making amends. They're all action words. And that's where we all want to get. It doesn't matter what part of your life is not where you hope it would be. You would love to have the impetus and courage to start putting some ING things in place to get that faith that you have that it can be better into actually helping it get better. And if you're wondering why there's such a disconnect between those two things, then may I reintroduce to you step four. After you have admitted you need help and God is here and God can help you now, you need to take a fearless moral inventory. You need to get very real with yourself about what is real to you and who you are and why you're here and what you want to do and why you carry some of the feelings that you do with respect to those things or even others. You may not always like what this list reveals. I was studying with a friend the other day who knows a lot about psychology, and he was like, when you go through a process like this, your brain tends to list negative characteristics about yourself. And look, that's a part of this. I need to know and recognize within myself what are the trouble spots in me. But also by the grace of God and by the goodness of his control and by faith, I also want to figure out in my moral inventory what is there that is good and how can I use it? 
What is there that is good that is so close to being great? And how clear am I on all of that? Now, before I read some of the article and give you some practical things to try, let me back up to where it all started. Again, I was sitting there Monday morning and I was thinking, I think self-awareness is probably the number one greatest need in the whole wide world. I mean, we talk pretty openly about two attributes that tend to make all the difference, and they're usually self-contained within a person. I'm talking about selfishness versus selflessness. I mean, I think everybody knows that. If I am selfish, if that's who I am and how I act, then my contribution to those around me and fulfilling God's work in this world through me will be greatly inhibited. And to the extent that I am more like Jesus and selfless and deny myself and find value in what is contributed and able to say it is more blessed to give than to receive, I can do a great many things in his name. But as I was sipping my coffee, I thought, okay, well, which am I? Am I more selfish or selfless? Is that kind of categorical? Are there certain areas of life where I exhibit more of one thing than the other? Can I kind of define that a little bit? Do I even know that? So I remember as a teenager, my mom telling me repeatedly how selfish I was. And I recall once I'd been dating Summer for a while and I said, Mom, I'm not selfish. Look at how I treat her and look at what I'm giving her and doing for her. And my mom was like, you're in love with her. You want to be with her forever. She's not even another person. She's just an extension of you. You're being selfless because it's still about you. And I remember getting so angry at how ridiculous that was. And I went back to my room and sat there and thought, okay, wait a minute. I I think she may have a point there. So this brings us to the main point today. How do you know if you are selfish, for instance, or in what ways? And if you can't honestly assert that, then how do you plan to fix it? It's kind of like in AA, until they can take a true more inventory of who they are, how do you change who you are? If there are areas of my life where I am selfless and so I shouldn't be so hard on myself and I should probably just go cultivate that and try to spread it, can I confidently assert that that is true or do I just need it to be true? Well, the ability to do all of that is this thing we call self-awareness. I want you to listen to this pretty classic definition of that term. Self-awareness is the conscious recognition and understanding of one's own thoughts and emotions behaviors, and overall identity. It involves being in tune with your internal states, including your strengths and weaknesses, values, and beliefs. A person who is self-aware is capable of reflecting on themselves, their actions, their motivations, leading to a deeper understanding of their own character and a more conscious and intentional approach to life. So this has all really been a deep rabbit hole for me this week. I think I indicated that in the beginning. If you had asked me last week to define self-awareness, I would say it's somebody who kind of can read the room. They are aware of how they affect others, how their words hit others. They are kind of at least in tune with what others see in them. This idea that people kind of see you for who you are. The question is, do you see you for who you are? And I think we all know examples where that's not there. So self-awareness is someone sees you as a servant of the king, and that's sort of how you see yourself, at least how you're trying to be. On the converse side, someone sees you at home as very selfish and self-absorbed, and you can at least say, you know what, that's precisely what I'm going for. Or you wouldn't say that, but you would say, that is kind of how I'm being. But I don't know, the more I think about this, it is important to figure out who you are because of the effect on others, but I don't think I would define self-awareness just relative to how I affect others. It's not defined by that, it just ends up changing that in the outcome. 
Let me see if I can make this clear by using the best example we have. Jesus was clearly very selfless. He was not selfish in his approach. We all know that from his entire ministry and the sacrifice of his life. I would say that was not accidental and it was not just circumstantial and it wasn't about anybody else in the room. I would say it was true in his very nature that that is who he was. But what I would argue for you is that that became possible in its extreme form because of his intense and crystal clear awareness of who he was. He knew exactly who he was, the Son of God. He knew exactly why he was here to be a savior of lost sheep. He knew exactly what was most valuable, what was most important, what was most needful. He was intensely aware of the part he would play in that, and he embraced it knowingly. So for Jesus, self-awareness wasn't his understanding of how he sounded to people or how they saw him. It was more an understanding of exactly who he was, fearless moral inventory that inevitably radiated into the lives of those around him. And what they thought of him, those at least who had good hearts, was exactly consistent with who he intended to be. I kind of struggle with that sometimes. I think there are good-hearted people who have a misconception of maybe what I'm saying or doing or who I am, and it frustrates me that I feel that I'm one way and they see me as another. And that would be super easy to just blame them, and maybe it is their fault, but that's not the point. The point is, here's what I can do. I can take those quiet times, those meditation periods, those boredom moments from a couple of weeks ago, and I can try to figure out exactly who I am and how I am portraying that. And what's kind of ironic and interesting about this whole episode is it sounds very self-centered. Sit down and focus on you. But I don't believe there can be an authentic change without an authentic assessment. That's the point of AA. You've decided you need God's help and he's here for you. And steps five through 12, you want to go out and be active. The goal is to please him and strengthen relationships. But the bridge between that may be making a list of things that you've been overlooking, discovering, or better word, admitting some things about yourself that may even scare you a little bit. But it's a lot like one of the house rules from the other set of episodes. Once you've come clean on what is true, like what is truth, you can always build from there. The opposite of self-awareness is self-deception, and that's about the worst deception that there is. Because when I'm self-deceived, I'm the one blocking myself from fitting into God's story and becoming that true and brightest light that Jesus gave his life for me to be. Okay, enough of my thoughts. Let me read to you from this article by Molly LaRoche, titled very simply, The Fourth Step, Your Fearless Moral Inventory, What is Step 4 in AA? She writes, while every step in the 12-step program represents a unique set of challenges, Step 4 in Alcoholics Anonymous has gained notoriety as being the scary step. This is the step that requires you to take a long, hard, honest look at your own character. It can feel overwhelming and frightening, but can also serve as a powerful tool you can use to maintain your sobriety. At this stage in your recovery, you've already worked through steps one through three. In the process, you've accepted that you don't have the power over this and that God is present and he can help you achieve sanity and that you put your faith in him as your great power. She goes on to explain, working step four means examining how your own thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and behaviors have made you an active participant in your own addiction. Taking personal responsibility is difficult for everyone, but for addicts, it's especially tough. 
One of the common traits of all addicts is a tendency to see themselves as victims. They're stuck in a vicious cycle of stinking thinking that justifies their substance abuse and addictive behavior. She goes on to write, Step four requires you to break down your thoughts and your life experiences looking at critical issues, including feelings of resentment, harm you've caused others, your feelings of fear, and your sexual conduct. This includes listing all the ways you've avoided taking personal responsibility, misdirected your anger, felt ashamed by things you've done or things you failed to do, and let fear rule your life. Now let me just pause there and say a couple of things because this got pretty real pretty quick. Self-assessment and moral inventory is not just sitting there going, okay, so am I a good person? And do I really love God? And what do I really want on my tombstone? This process, for those in the program at least, is far more specific. Zoom in on critical issues in your life. Zoom in on that resentment or bitterness that has housed itself in your soul. Zoom in on some behavior that just tends to be whipping you every time and try to assess honestly what is going on with me that draws me to that or traps me in that. And like I said, this isn't just for alcoholics. I've worked with people who dealt with pornography or just simple anger issues, or really it can be used all the way across the board. People struggle and they don't know why. They misassign what's really behind what's happening, and so they end up treating the wrong cause. The truth is, and I know this gets way too deep for me to share with you, but some of it has to do with trauma from your past. Some of it needs professional counseling and help. But even in that case, there are people who cannot just sit there and own that that is a part of their story and it's a major factor and they need to get help. Be self-aware, not just what kind of person you are, but what is influencing the kind of person you are. The article reiterates, and I think this is interesting, remember, step four isn't about finding solutions. It's about self-reflection, honesty, and taking responsibility for yourself. She goes on in the next section to talk about all the different various ways that this step gets carried out, but she writes, the important thing to keep in mind is that you're creating a written record that serves as a cornerstone for your entire recovery journey. Many addicts keep this journal from step four their entire life, using it as a tool to keep themselves grounded when they find themselves reverting to old negative thought patterns and destructive behaviors. Now, breaking away from the article, I don't know if that's what you will do, sit down and write out things. But however you do so, it goes on to suggest that you be thorough with your inventory. There is something therapeutic and helpful of flipping over every stone and calling it exactly what it is. This, so far as I understand it, is exactly what's going on with me. She says some people take days, weeks, or months to do this, and I think that's kind of the journey I'm going to be on. She says, look, there's no reward for speeding through this, given the fact that this work can be emotionally draining and bring up painful memories and even trigger problems with anxiety or depression or even post-traumatic stress disorder, it's critical that you take the time to work at your own pace. Make sure you have the support you need in your life. Lean on, in her case, your sponsor, and be aware of yourself while working through it. This is interesting because I had another list that I found on how to increase self-awareness, and it started with something like reflection or mindfulness practices, but step three was to seek feedback. And to be very practical here at the end, if you think you have discovered something truly real about you that has the potential to change everything, either by using it more or working on changing it, find your, quote, sponsor, your person that you trust, and seek their feedback on that assessment. They'll understand that you're not being self 
self-focused or self-ish. You just understand that you are at the center of every experience that you've ever had and every experience that you're ever going to have. And if those experiences are going to benefit the people around you, then you have to first make sure that you are a valuable, well-assessed part of it. There's nothing more dangerous than someone who is dangerous and doesn't know it. So one final practical thing that's working for me, and I really feel like I've just kind of scratched the surface on all of this and maybe done no good at all. But if it leads to just a little bit more personal honesty, I think God can use that. But one of the big tips on creating more self-awareness is self-questioning, and I find that really helpful. I'm a little bit of a debater by character and genetics, but I've been turning more of that attention away from others and towards myself. I've been asking myself some tough questions and not just accepting my first response as awesome, but challenging that also. I'm pushing to find out what's at the center, what's fueling everything else. And I hope that's a journey you're willing to embark upon also. It won't be easy and it won't be quick, but step four has linked faith and action for a lot of people all over the world, and it can for you as well. But this step requires a fearless moral inventory. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you enjoyed this program, will you share it with someone you care about? One thing I've learned over these five seasons is that there's nothing as powerful in advertising as word of mouth sharing between friends. Speaking of friends, let me once again commend you to give John Cunningham a call. He and his team have a wide variety of tools to help you use your present budget and life to build towards a more secure and hopeful financial future. Once again, you can reach him at 205-326-7364. And always remember, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.